once we move away from this love of ideas and start connecting more as human beings, yeah, I think we would be in a, in a better place as a country and also politically. And I think that before we can connect with other human beings, we have to connect with ourselves more. I mean, I could just as easily say, hey, you know what? I know the solution to your problems. Love yourself. Learn to love and prioritize yourself. No, that's, you know, that's just like saying to someone who's out of shape, you know what? Get in shape. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. That's not process. That's not even an outcome. Start with caring for something that if you care for it, it impacts the environment. Don't care for it, they're a clear conscience. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners, to episode 49. We're making our march to 50 episodes. Thank you all for being part of this journey with us. Our guest today, making his third time appearance on the podcast, is Rolando Garcia III. He's here promoting a new book that he has written a chapter in. It's called The Successful Body. I'm going to include a link to purchase the book in the show notes. His chapter is called The Fulcrum of a Warrior, and hence the name of this episode. We almost named it something else uh but it was too long to kind of fit but uh, the alternative title for for this episode is love everyone but never sell your sword and it really fits with what the episode's about rolando talks a lot about his father's teacher dizan who taught eskrima and mohara and it talks a lot about flow and strategy and power the culture of survival physicality and character, spirituality of martial arts in the heart of a warrior, and what it means to own a sword, to take care of a sword, and the responsibility that you hold, not just for yourself, but for others, when you have a weapon like that and care for a weapon like that, and how that applies to modern day life, mental health, physical health, and approaches to mindset of life in general. So it's a very interesting episode, maybe a little bit different than what you're used to, but I think you will really garner some some great information from it. So for the third time, here's Rolando. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. book, uh, The Successful Body, it's the first, it's the first time I'm writing about my dad's instructor and how his philosophy and his approach has actually informed much of who I am as a martial artist and as a person. 
that that's what I've been up to. But <laughs> overall, you overall know, good. Just si- simple stuff, you know, every day run of, the, <laughs> run of the mill, simple stuff is, is what you've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? How have you been? Uh, pretty good. You know, we're, we're trying to ship, um, not ship. We're trying to shape up some of our programming for the nonprofit. Um, I built with my brother and sister. And mm. so right now we, we have this monthly programming we're doing called stigma is curable. That came from mm. a, a different podcast I had with someone at one point he had mentioned it. And I thought it was just such a pertinent phrase to have of, we look at you know, stamp down stigma and things of that nature and stigma is curable kind of came out because we felt there's a lot of stuff going on that we could start having conversations about. And so really we got some funding through grants. So we're going to have speakers come on. I felt like I might do one or two of them, but I wanted to be more of a host for it and have different people come and talk about uh, different things that they're experts in. So the first one was on ADHD. That was in January. And then this month is on the criminal criminalization of trauma in black and brown communities. Um, I'm having a friend of mine, Dr. Khadija Tuit, come on, talk about that. I see. That's very heavy stuff, but very important subjects to address. Yeah, for real. Um, And I, you know, I just figured my listeners and people probably got sick of my, my voice. So I wanted other people to come on and present stuff that they can be more informative on than I could. So opening it up to the community. So that's great. How would you think of the chapter, by the way? Yeah. So, well, so I guess we're not going to have an intro because we've already started talking. So we'll just lead right. I mean, it's your third time on the podcast. I think the listeners know you, so I don't think we have to do any introductions. So the successful body. So uh, you were fantastic enough to get me a uh forward of the chapter in the book i haven't gotten to read any other chapters but i got to read your chapter um the fulcrum of a warrior which is there's so much to that title which is amazing Uh, i thought it was (laughs) you know we talked before this but i i thought it was uh really informative and really interesting how you broke everything down and how the piece really spoke about the connection of how martial arts is an art and spiritually connected and how it's bond with the artist, the practitioner who's doing it is, is one of the most important things of it. Um, And, you know, we can get into detail more throughout the podcast, but I, that's my takeaway. I thought it was really good. Um, Probably one of the only podcasts I took notes on (laughs) because it was so involved with, with the new, um, part of the the book that's coming out that I wanted to make sure I really captured what what stood out for me and you know the the idea of I think it was a quote from the your teacher your father's teacher that said um, the art and the artist are inseparable yeah I mean they're, they're not one or the other it's the combination of the two that that is what is the achievement yeah that is the the ultimate goal and the ultimate achievement in that you view yourself and you view life, life in total through your understanding of the art that you're practicing. It's not separate from you. Mm. And it's a very, to me, it, 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 
it has helped me understand myself and also my own place in life, my own place in this thing we call a universe, because it's um, life can be very confusing. Human life can be very confusing. And something has to center you that leads you to a deeper understanding of what it is you're experiencing. And someone like Felicissimo Dizon and a lot of the Filipino masters, but specifically him, they were put that generation was put through some some interesting events and i mentioned it in the chapter uh specific to filipino history that really makes you question well what is any of this for i mean you had uh, spanish occupation and then american occupation and there was a lot of historical military efforts by the indigenous cultures the filipinos to resist these things. Then you had World War II with the Japanese Imperial Army. And then not long, and that was a very brutal um, theater of war. And from what I understand, uh, it was so brutal that next to Warsaw, Poland, uh, I believe Manila was the most devastated city in all of World War II. And then after that, after uh, the liberation of the country, now it's the wild west right now you had all of these not only were they trained in the deadly art of uh, escrima they now had several theaters to have practiced it you know as guerrillas in world war ii and then just a few decades before that resistance to the american occupation and now they had each other and that's why you had these death matches but it does beg the question after a while as a practitioner where you, well, what is this for? And ultimately the uh, guys like Dizon, yeah, and there were many masters also, understood that there is a way to utilize the art to penetrate the spiritual realm. Right. Yeah. And that's, and a lot of um, the techniques that uh, my father taught me through the art were designed so that one, you could confront these lethal uh, situations where people would challenge you or just approach you with a sword. That's just how things were back then. And the Philippines is actually still a very violent country, very violent. You know, you just, you know, what are you going to do? It's a very macho culture. So in many ways, it's still a lot of that going on. But then you add the level of skill to it. After a while, you do that enough times, whether you're successful at it or not successful at it, you're going to ask some very deep questions. And that's where the spiritual aspect comes in. The mindset of a warrior and the realm of a warrior is ultimately the spirit. Right. There's so there's so much to that, um, which I feel like we definitely want to get onto. And I think when you were talking about just now that machismo kind of feeling or you know that that macho feeling i remember in um our second podcast together uh, when we were talking about when you moved to hawaii and how the philosophy of of bullying was different you know these these guys came at you and your brother and they were just messing with you and you came from a place we were like no we're gonna handle this yeah and then i think you said you you there was a physical altercation and then it got resolved and, and processed through, but very different culturally. Um, I think one of the things that comes up in 
your chapters, this philosophy of, of Western society and how we practice these routines for the purpose of doing these routines instead of a, a higher connection to, to self, right? There's a yeah. couple of lines where you're talking about running endlessly on a treadmill. It doesn't connect you to the same point of practicing a martial art because it's a deeper integration into something beyond what the act is actually doing in that moment. And I think that that's a really important thing when we're talking about penetrating that veil of spirituality through the practice of physicality is um, our society doesn't really do that too much. You're right. We don't. Uh, and I think that un an understanding of the spirit penetrating the spirit becomes the realm of a warrior, meaning especially nowadays, let's take a look at the political situation, let's mm -hmm. take a look at the pandemic. You need the tools of the warrior from a spiritual standpoint, from a mindset standpoint, just to cope, just to cope with these challenges. Um, there was one detail that always stood out to me about Felicissimo Dizon in that, you know, my dad would relay these stories about his master and mm -hmm. say that the guy would be having lunch. And some guy would just say, you know, in Tagalog, Sir, pwede ba mag-insayo tayo? Which means, let's spar, which is like a light sparring. But in that culture, in that language, ensayo, if it's approached that way, it's like, no, this is to the death. Right. This, is, this is to the death. And he would just calmly, you know, take a few more bites of what he was eating. They'd go around the back and then only one guy would come back. And it was diesel he would just come out of it but he and then he'd finish eating and that detail always stood out to me because this is an event where your life is at stake but he proceeded through it uninterrupted like nothing happened it was not it wasn't traumatic right there was no forethought and and some may wonder well that happens to be a matter of culture or maybe a matter of personality or if you're a deathmatch master right why would why would you worry about anything and i think it does beg that other question which is well how do you get to that state right. where you look at something dead in the eye and just say okay let's go and then you resolve it and going back to the point about running on a treadmill there is nothing that is more indicative of a how our society works than running in a treadmill we're always working but nothing is resolved we're always moving but we're not getting anywhere right and there is some sort of internal goal we are trying to achieve but why is it that every time we achieve something, it never feels enough? And from my own personal practice of the art and, for, and through my own personal development through the art, the key thing is, that's missing, and I'm, I go into this in detail in the chapter, is that element of the warrior. And the first consideration of becoming a warrior is that you are asking serious questions about life and ultimately death, because that's what's at stake when somebody comes to you and says, 
hey, let's have a light sparring match, at least mm-hmm. in those times. Your life is at stake, but you're also responsible for this other person's life. We don't deal in any of that in today's society. If I'm running on a treadmill, I'm not responsible. My life is not at stake. And I'm certainly not responsible for somebody else's life. There, famously, I think in June, there was some sort of viral video about the pandemic. And some gentleman was on there, refused to wear a mask, part of a rally, part of a protest. And he says, you're not responsible for me. And I'm not responsible for you. Meaning, I've, I'm not going to wear a mask. That means you don't have to wear a mask for me. That is anathema to the mindset of a warrior, which is, no, even though we're fighting, I am responsible for you because I have the skill set and the mindset and the absolute commitment in my spirit to either take your life or give you your life. There was something that um, my dad challenged me on maybe just a year ago, because we talk swordsmanship a lot. And he asked, you know, um, Dizon didn't have a sword curriculum. So I'm going to ask you, why do you think he didn't have a sword curriculum the same way Musashi is famous for never carrying a sword? He, he carried a wooden sword. Why is that? And, you know, it, 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 it was a very involved conversation, but ultimately his point of view, and I agree with it, is that the, there's a finality in the sword. There's an absolute finality. Musashi even famously said in his Book of Five Rings, once you draw a sword, your mindset should only be on one thing, on one thought, killing. The stick gives you a different option. You don't have to kill. When you start thinking of your practice that way, you start digging into the things that get into your spirit, which is, I am actually responsible for either taking a life or giving a life. And you approach things very differently. Your own approach to self-care, your own approach to your place in the universe, your own approach to people who came before you, and even more specifically, your own place in the spiritual realm. And I mentioned this in the book. Felicissimo Dizon was one of those escrimadors who trained in the haunted forests of the Philippines to go into that deeper realm and play with the spirits, as they say. I don't, that's superstition, that's tradition, whether you believe or not, it's irrelevant. What's, what is important to point out is that there was a concentrated effort to come to terms with the spiritual realm. I think that it is, I'm glad you observed it because it's true. We don't have that. I think it, I don't know if it hurts us as a society, but I do know that as a result of it, we don't benefit from a warrior mindset and a warrior culture because the primary realm of a warrior is the spiritual. That. Again, I feel like every time we talk, there's expounding on 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 so much of the, our previous conversations and how they inter interact. And then every five minutes of you talking, I have eighty million questions to follow up on. The first thing, though, would be a little lighthearted. 
yeah. I definitely had an experience with a treadmill that was life threatening. <laughs> Not not so much. I, I've I've definitely fallen on a treadmill and got shot off it, um, but that that's just a little levity to the the, the heavy conversation we're having. But that's yeah, no, I mean I definitely agree on on all those po- parts. There's so much to it too because I know that um, when we had talked briefly about the haunted forest scenario, I think in the chapter you talk about this aspect where you thought Dizon was also understanding that that movement of and we'll get into it in a minute of those three stages of what you're talking about mohara is that how you say yeah mohara and that's the that's the final curriculum that my father had taught me um because there were several to it but that's like the final one and there's like several pieces to it but yeah mohara that's the one so you you were kind of talking about uh when we were talking in in the chapter about the philosophy of um strategy and really spending time with ghosts and see how they move and, and kind of navigate, um, you know, movement in terms of, um, one, uh, one's own resolve. And then also, uh, decision making to kind of get your opponent to be, I can't remember the exact wording, but you were saying, get, get your opponent to be focused on one area as you kind of come behind and penetrate the opponent's, uh, own personal space right um, yeah so they, there's a really cool connection of of just the movement of of spirits and ghosts mm-hmm. um but i also think the haunted forest is, is probably and this is just what i was thinking about when you were talking that's that groundingness into the spiritual realm but also to that ability to to go and have those death fights and then come back and reacclimate your nervous system to to being like, oh, this is part of life, but I don't have to get stuck in this um, fight or flight mentality all my life. I can yeah. balance it by this connection to spirit. And you know, is it awesome that that's the way society was? No, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't think anyone would really say, hey, if we got a choice of peace and death matches, let's pick the death matches. But it's acclimating to to the way society was that wasn't able to change in that moment due to the history you presented and i think spending that time by himself and practice with self connecting to that spiritualness probably was one of one of those ways he was able to navigate that yeah it's it's, um because can you imagine that you mentioned the nervous system you're you're in constant high vagal tone Mm -hmm. everywhere you go you're in post-world war ii philippines you know there's a a lot of people carrying all types of things, knives, swords, sticks, lead pipes, what have you. Hot-tempered uh, culture, but also uh, some people who are very highly skilled. So you're, and, and also at that time, you know, there wasn't a lot of employment opportunity, right? So a lot of high vagal tone. How can you live that way, right? how do you confront the things that you need to confront? And just when you're giving this a lot of thought, some guy comes up to you and says, Hey, let's you and I have a death match. Why not? Over nothing. (laughs) It's just, you know, it happens all the time over here. (laughs) Happens all the time because Hey, what else are you and I going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. What else are you going? We're walking down a dirt road. I see you, you see me, we make eye contact. We recognize each other. It's on. Right. Uh, Because why not? And it's, 
so when you connect it to the the movement of the spirit when you're dealing with the haunted forest ultimately that is this is my own interpretation uh there is a similar superstition in japan around haunted forests and training in the haunted forests because when you expose yourself to that level of pressure now you take going to a whole other high vagal tone right mm-hmm. um when you expose yourself to that kind of pressure that type of um fight flight response strangely when you come back down into reality you have a very different view mm-hmm. of what your threat response is completely recalibrated as a result and i think that the takeaway for us now and i know it's a takeaway for me personally is that if anything that challenges your spirit to become bigger stronger those are the challenges that are worth taking on because once you can take challenges to the spirit all other challenges become manageable and and everything else is uh kind of irrelevant mm-hmm. in many ways right but if you don't expose yourself to that if your idea of challenging yourself is in a safe controlled environment something we like to say nowadays is a comfort zone okay I will only push myself in a controlled environment. I will only push myself in an event of my choice and an environment of my choice. And if I don't have those choices, then I will not participate in it. Not only is your physicality never um never really pushed you're not even touching on the spiritual aspect of these things. Definitely. So my so my own my I mean my own father who went through his own challenges, I mean grown man and attorney in the Philippines during martial law, right? And I as a child growing up during that uh, time, I experienced some of that as well. Yeah, that was some hardcore stuff. Hardcore culture. Filipinos, right. that's a very hardcore culture. And to me and for my dad the arc was very centering so there are techniques to it there's a curriculum to it that helps through that progression but what Dizon ultimately decided was to pick several platforms so that he could test the arc and test himself and that's how you arrive at that inseparableness of art and being yeah and if it, if if we connect it back to the spiritual um haunted forests or you know what have you the concept there you're talking about like the symp- sympathetic nervous system raising you you can leave that intensity where your training and what you bring in to the woods with you is not going to have an effect on spirit so it becomes about the practice of the art and becoming one with the art and that that's where you cultivate self more mm-hmm. and connect to that spiritual level you're not going in there thinking, hey, I have this sword or I have this wooden stick and this is going to protect me from the spirits. It's the art that's that's connecting to to that realm and leaving that and having control over that through the practice makes so much sense to come into a society that's out of control and say, hey, I know how to kind of regulate through what I've been developing in this art and that's why I can shift 
I have these shifts. Um, and that's why I really like in, in the chapter, you talk about one of Dizon's nickname was Dizon all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. Sounds, it sounds badass, but it's also really indicative of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. He, there was, he never basically said no to life. Okay. This is too much. I can't take it. Right. We live in a society right now where we want to be selective about our experiences. And as somebody who's um, in the fitness industry, curating experiences, right? That you hear that a lot in, uh, in hospitality. You hear that a lot in luxury fitness and that you want to curate experiences so that your customer um, can understand the value that your brand provides, right? And we have entire companies, entire industries out there who want to curate experiences so that the exchange of goods uh, is something that both cust- the, the customer can see value in. What, what's happening, though, as a result, is that that curation of experience, which is something that industries are pushing on, and I'm part of that, I'm part of that industry, is that it is not just an industry practice anymore. It's our actual culture. We will only accept curated experiences for every moment of our lives. Yeah. But life has a way of getting through the cracks of our rationale and getting through the cracks of our narrow criteria and insisting that it be accepted for what it is wholly, purely, and unfiltered. So now when you realize that your criteria was pure artifice and it's as fragile as a porcelain cup, you realize that you have nothing to hang on to when life all of a sudden hits you, you have someone that you care about and you lost them during the pandemic. Now what? The people, and the worst part about the pandemic is that when you lose them, you don't even see these people. Yeah. They're just taken away someplace, right? You don't have a curated response to that you have an honest, unfiltered response to it that you cannot TikTok, you cannot put on Facebook. It's this pure, honest place. And that can, you can only come to that place when first and foremost, you can accept life for what it is. But you become a warrior when you can accept life for what it is, absolutely unfiltered, when you're not broken by it, right? You actually come back from it, just like Dizon would come back from one of these challenges and just finish his lunch. Because some people, in fact, the majority of people, I don't know, they, they lose their job, they lose a relationship, you know, and they think that that's the last job they'll ever have, or that's the last relationship they'll ever have. And all of a sudden, the experience of defeat becomes pathological and becomes traumatic right. versus look, this is just a part of the fabric of life. And not only is it a part of the fabric of life that's being put upon me, there is an art to approaching this. So the fulcrum of the warrior ultimately is a very uh, uh, flexible, engaged spirit that understands that all of these experiences are ultimately universal. So the death match is universal meaning you're always going to have your life interrupted by a challenge that you did not expect. 
you're always going to have um, some sort of sense of an invasion where some sort of invading army is coming in. I mean, we just saw that on uh, at the Capitol rec- yeah. very recently, right? There's always something that is going to interrupt your curated experience. There's always something that's going to be an inconvenience to you. What makes someone a warrior like a Dizon is a centered practice so that how they respond to it makes it so that A, it's not traumatic. It's not at a high, very high bagel tone. And they go through life almost like a spirit would go through a material and physical world, absolutely undisturbed and um, unmoved by any of the vagaries that it has to offer. And then you come out of it triumphant as a result. Yeah. I think there's a lot there to, to unpack. And, and one of the things as you were talking that always resonates with me when I work with people with anxiety or depression or trauma is what you're saying is not the fact that you have to get over these things that happen to you. It's that you have to face these things that happen to you and process through them because you know, I think we, we view things as positive and negative too much. And I think that dichotomy offsets what life really is. And it's not necessarily always positive or negative. I view things more as generative and limiting. And when you mm-hmm. free up that spectrum a little bit, you can have that spot where, yeah, this, this really shitty thing happened. Right? Yeah. Losing someone you love, that's shitty. I'm I'm sure Dizon didn't really enjoy killing people, but it, it came down to it at, at a certain part, right? That's a shitty experience, even though he, he won. But then it becomes about processing that. And then eventually, maybe not in that moment, unless you have that practice already cultivated, getting to the part where you say, okay, what are my options here? Like, do, do I make a decision that limits me and holds me back from moving on and I get stuck in this trauma? Or do I make a generative decision that's not always rainbows and butterflies, but leads to an outcome that, that can pull me out of this and face it and process and, and get stronger from, from that process. And that's why I think, you know, dealing with trauma and, you know, personally for me, people coming in to do that work, those are strong people. Yeah. They don't feel strong. They, they don't feel strong. And often probably they think people look at them as, as weak, but they're the stronger person that I would want to be associated with than someone who doesn't face what, what's happening or what happened to them and, and cultivate that practice like we're talking about. My own team, um, I don't know, you're probably familiar with this character and the character's name in Saturday Night Live is Chad because no matter, yeah, no matter what you say to him, he just goes, okay. Hey, there was one episode that I saw where he was like in some sort of haunted mansion. And I think it was Adele who was playing the the dead haunted person. And she would say something like, I'm going to, I'm going to haunt you. And he goes, okay. And they go, and oh, that's what's his name place. Please. Okay. I can't remember. I forgot his name. And then he goes, and then do you know what happened in this house? Let me show you. And he goes, okay. And we're going to, and you will see that I was murdered. And he, he goes, okay. It's just, it's, it's hilarious, but I, I get the point that you're making. Yeah. And, and I showed, I shared this with my, with my team here at Orange Theory. It's just like, if, because if you, if you have a, 
a high resonant tone responding to this, it now becomes an event. And it's an event that's now burned into your nervous system. It's burned into your cells. And you now experience uh, life as something that you can compartmentalize as, you know, very high events or very low events. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from Dizon in the practice of it is that it's just one big nod towards, you're just going to nod at what the experience is. You're just going to nod at it. And strangely enough, the more you accept life, the more it reveals its secrets to you, right? I'll give you an example. So my dad, when he would train with him and he would, uh, he, in the early days, he would say to me that he couldn't believe just how graceful he was mm-hmm. in how he moved. He was like in his mid-50s, stocky build, and he had very muscular forearms, very muscular shoulders. And from what I understand, like he, he was just in a thick neck, everything, very powerful and very graceful in how he moved. So when he would train with my dad, uh, there was always this way where he would just get into this position. He would find a way to position himself so that the situation be, would be resolved in three movements. He could resolve it in three movements. And you can, but you can only really resolve something if you're not looking at it as neither good or bad, right or wrong. I'm responding to it in a way that makes me happy. I'm responding into it. Uh, I don't like it. You simply accept it for what it is. And can you imagine being stuck? And I mentioned this a lot in the book that this is a, man who is stuck in a timeline where all right american occupation japanese occupation both of which were brutal historically um i'm gonna use this time to really understand an art become proficient at it and quite possibly maybe have a deeper understanding of who i am in this day and age that would be unheard of we're we're the kind of generation right now where you know, New York City has a blackout for one or two days and all of a sudden it's it's a scarring event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, so I think that there's something to be said about how we approach our physical life as a vehicle towards the spiritual. But the only way I think we can do that and the Dizon martial art, the Mohara martial art, is one avenue, I'm not saying it's the only avenue, I'm not even saying it's the best avenue, that's the one that works for me, is that if we approach a physical vehicle, a physical discipline, allows us to penetrate the spirit and the realm of the spirit is life and death, we start to view life as something that we can accept undisturbed, without preferences, without being impacted negatively if something negative happens, or being elevated to a high level if something positive happens. These are just things that happen in life. There's a famous, there's a famous um, analogy that Yagyu Muninori mentions in his book, The Sword of No Sword. And Yagyu Muninori was uh, the Kenjutsu teacher to the, um, the Tokugawa shogunate. And he said that the center of our being, the center of the warrior has to be like the moon in the sky at night. When the moon is lit, 
in the sky, it sees its reflection in the ocean. And when it sees its reflection in the ocean, it sees that reflection kind of going up and going down, going up and going down, so that the reflection seems very disturbed. But it's not the moon itself that's disturbed. It's the, it's the reflection that's reflecting off of a very volatile and violent ocean. But at no point does the moon come down from the sky and say, that's me. It knows that it is its own reflection and it will not respond. The point of Muninori is that when you are in a fight, and in those days it was also life and death with a samurai sword, your own emotions, your own soul, your own spirit will experience all of these volatile emotions. But those emotions are just a reflection of your soul, but it's not your actual soul. It is a reflection of your warrior spirit, but it's not your actual warrior spirit. So when you get anxious, you get afraid, you have doubt, you feel like you could run, you could, you could experience imposter syndrome. All of these things are going to be like ripples on the ocean of your being, but that's not who you are. So the practice of warriorship is to get connected to that moon, that centered being, that no matter what happens within you, you remain undisturbed. So you're kind of like that character in SNL. He just goes, okay. <laughs> so you just... Pete you Davidson. Just, Pete Davidson's the... Pete the, Davidson, yeah. yeah. You're, you're that person so that if you get hit, I got hit. Now I'm going to hit you back. And I will not hesitate to hit you back. And I will not hesitate to resolve. Right? Mm -hmm. So, But at no point do you mistake the fluctuations of the life that you are living for who you're being. You're centered in your art. You're centered in who you are. Everything else that you're experiencing, the guy who challenged you in the sparring match, that moment you felt like you were a little overweight, that time where your ego was hurt a little bit because you may have lost a lover, you may have lost a job. Those are just fluctuations in a life that is ultimately temporary and illusory. But at no point do you forget who you really are and what your art really stands for. Damn, man. Damn. That's all I can say. It's well, well said, well put together. The illusion of the moon is something I'm going to carry with me for, for the rest of my life now. <laughs> um, Thank you. That's but, not a Roland. That's not a Rolando. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to, when I edit this, I'm going to write down all the books that, that you're doing. I'll put them in the show notes for people um, mm -hmm. to, to check out and, and, and do that. So let me ask you then, because we're, we're talking a lot about this and the, the heart of the warrior and, and the, the way of the warrior and things of this nature, where do you begin to cultivate that? Like what recommendations do you have for people who may be listening, who were going through a lot as a society, yeah. we're going through a lot of ups and downs and, you know, that reflective uh, illusion of who we are, where do you start the practice of cultivating that, that moon heart connection? I'm going to propose a solution and I've proposed this solution before and it's going to be an incredulous, not incredible, incredulous, incredulous. Uh, suggestion. And I think uh, I may lose part of your audience, but I will say it anyway. Purchase a sword. Purchase a sword. Mm. 
okay, Rolando, why sword? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for running b- both ends of the conversation. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need some green tea for my, my voice. So why a sword? Because it is, um, first and foremost, when you Ooh. hold a sword, you're holding it for no other reason. So in that exact moment, you're holding a very physical manifestation of our capability. Everyone, all of us have this capability to take life or give life. And that is something that is lost to us, especially when all we really carry is an iPhone, a credit card, a wallet, some earphones, and a laptop, if we're carrying any of those things at all. So we don't have a reminder of that awesome and universal skill, ability, and responsibility to give or take life. You lose a lot of your humanity. You lose a lot of your own uh, perception of who you are when you're not centered in that, right? It's like all of a sudden, I just ask you, I just tell you that you no longer have the ability to choose what's good or not good for you. Once that's removed from you, you don't even understand yourself anymore. Right. So you will have a strong, the point of purchasing a sword and the point of being centered is to have a better understanding of, of yourself, right? Purchase that sword. So now you understand the awesome responsibility of being able to give and take life. That's number one. Number two, swords rust. It will be this one beautiful, cool thing in your own home that if you do not take care of, will rust and will become a very ugly thing that you cannot wait to throw away. We don't have anything like that in our homes anymore. Everything, if it's no longer part of our curated experience, we throw it out. Right. If it is still within our curated experience, because it's part of a subscription model where it just kind of auto renews itself, it auto generates and it takes care of itself. I don't have to think about that, right? So we have to reintroduce those pieces of things, of those things in our lives, things that we have to care for. If if these things will fall apart, if we don't care for it, And also number two, something that does not auto-renew. There is a famous sword in Japan. uh, It was, I believe it was Tokugawa Ieyasu's. It was called Crying Fox. They have um, very beautiful romantic names for their swords. That's the kind of care they put into it. And about 11 years ago, when the Met hosted them, I had the wonderful opportunity of being in front of this 900 year old historical artifact. And it made me emotional just looking at it because I was not seeing just the sword. I was seeing 900 years of craftsmanship and endless enduring care that it has lasted 900 years for me to look at, for it to feed my soul, for it so that it's not just a sword now. It represents care so much so that it traveled through 900 years of time and it fed 
a very humble individual like me, you know, one of several billion, and it's impacted my life to such an extent that I'm speaking about it in this podcast. We don't own anything like that. No. We we don't have anything like that in our own lives. So to think of, first of all, having the responsibility of having an item that we can start that process with is a good place to start. So first step, buy a sword. Number two, understand the awesome responsibility that you have to give or take life. Number three, institute a protocol of care for the sword so that that care is a reflection of the soul that owns it. I'm going to add this one more thing. There is, um, I recently, maybe not recently, about a year and a half ago, purchased a sword um, from someone who had posted it on a forum. And it was one of those very rare items that is no longer being made and no longer produced. So I needed paperwork just to be sure that it was the real thing. And I reached, I reached out to the curator and I said, does it have paperwork? And he said, um, let me reach out to the sun so I can find out. And I said, what do you mean the sun? He said, the item was owned by an individual who passed away and it's his son who's selling the sword. Okay, so it has history. Then the son contacts me and says, hey, I don't know if this is the paperwork you're looking for, but this is the paperwork for it. And I look at it, it was the legit thing, right? And then I said, okay, so I'll go ahead and purchase this um, beautiful Japanese sword from you. And he said something very interesting. He said, "Um, may I ask you something? I said, yes. Where do you intend to store the sword? Among sword collectors, where the sword is in the house will say whether it's something that will be cared for or not be cared for. Sword collectors believe that the sword itself has a soul and has a spirit. So I showed him my collection. I showed him the rack that it belonged to. And I showed him the other swords that were well-maintained and well-cared for. And to this day, what he said to me um, stood out. He said, my father was a gun collector. He only owned one sword and this was it. But this was his most prized collection, his most prized item. And this is the one that stood out. I think he will be happy to know that his sword will belong to a loving and caring home. Going back to the original thing. So, Rolando, why a sword? (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Because... What you actually end up doing by caring for an item, by putting all this positive energy and positive vibes and positive juju on an item, what you're actually doing is creating an environment that's full of love and care that's coming from your heart and from your soul. So now your home is impacted by one item and the actions that it has asked you to be responsible for and to be consistent with that, in my opinion, in my opinion, 
is where fitness, the fundamental message of fitness should be, but is not emphasized enough. What you're hoping to do is to put so much care into yourself, into your soul, into your spirit, and into your energy, so that the very environment that you belong to has been impacted so positively, so that now the home, the workplace, wherever you go, they pick up on that energy. So now when you pick up on that loving and caring energy, wherever you are, that's why when a warrior is present, there are no fights. Because the spirit of that warrior has permeated so much through the environment that it's only calmness, peace, and I use this word very specifically, only love persists in that environment. That's, that's the goal. Amazing. So purchase a sword. Purchase a sword. <laughs> I... You know, I, th I think it speaks a lot to it's kind of come full circle when we started talking, we were talking about, you know, the pandemic and, and this real sense of individualism that that has kind of come out in this matter. But in a yeah. sense, kind of been the founding of America, right, is this individualism approach to, hey, this is free speech. I have all this stuff, which inherently is good, but gets when it gets into such a structured uh structure throughout everything it prioritizes individualism over a collective whole and i think what you're talking about is really just taking responsibility that we're not just about ourselves we do have responsibilities to other things and other people and i think that to other is, people to other people and i'll add to message. that yeah because i think what we i think the problem that we're running into and you you, you know i just want to uh, address this a little bit is that you know i love this country i love americans okay mm -hmm. i think one of the things that we can be better at is to move away from this love of individualism this love of the constitution right. the love of country the love of a nation and a love rather for fellow americans but more importantly fellow human beings right yeah. if we we pull out a map, okay, America over here, South America over here, Mexico over here, lines on a map. You take that satellite up into space, you, you can't see any of those lines. Right. They don't exist. I, you cannot love an idea. You could be adherent to it. You can, you can be um, a mouthpiece for an idea, right? But you cannot actually love an idea. And America is not an idea. America is the people you are with, right. the people you care for. And I think that that's where, that's when that love of an idea, any idea, any, any ism, right? When that takes precedence over the human being, but more specifically, when that takes precedence over the human spirit, that's when you run into these kinds of problems. Because if you notice, right? Right, right wing, left wing, what were they afraid of? They weren't necessarily afraid of fellow Americans. They were afraid of isms. Well, if I vote this way, then it's gonna become communism. Yeah. I vote the other way, it becomes 
Nazism, totalitarianism, authoritarianism. No one said, I'm afraid of my fellow Americans. And I think that um, once we move away from this love of ideas and start connecting more as human beings, yeah, I think we would be in a, in a better place as a country and also politically. And I think that before we can connect with other human beings, we have to connect with ourselves more. I mean, I could just as easily say, hey, you know what? I know the solution to your problems. Love yourself. Learn to love and prioritize yourself. No, that's, you know, that's just like saying to someone who's out of shape, you know what? Get in shape. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. That's not process. That's not even an outcome. Right. Start with caring for something that if you care for it, it impacts the environment. And if you don't care for it, there are clear consequences to it. Amazing. So I think we've both done our um, own nods, as, as Dyson would, would do, with uh, background noise. So I want to commend you on that as we, as we get through the podcast and acknowledge it to, to the people listening. Just nod through it. We got this uh, wealth of information, as always. Thank you for coming back on. The book uh, is The Successful Body. When's it out? Who's it by? Uh, the, the, per, the individual who organized it, who is also uh, a Jeet Kune Do practitioner, Eric, uh, Eric Severson. He is, uh, he's a speaker and an author, and he organized uh, a lot of world-class experts. Uh, I'm very humbly uh, invited to this uh, book to participate in it. Uh, it is out later this month. From what I understand, I think the final graphics have been approved. So it's just, it's going to hit bookstores and I think it's going to hit Amazon later this month. Fantastic. So keep a lookout on, on that. And uh, as always, brother, fantastic to have you on. Thank you. It's always fantastic being on here, Steve. Appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean If you want to learn more about the Promethean project, or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at the Promethean If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.